expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. Some members of the Democratic Progressive Party are making a push to freeze a portion of the party's charter known as the Taiwan Independence Clause, which calls for the establishment of a Republic of Taiwan. Supporters of the freeze say doing so could help the DPP's chance to become a ruling party once again. However, the push has met a strong backlash from members who argue that pushing for an independent Taiwan is central to the party's character. Last week, a motion to freeze the clause failed to make any progress at the party's Congress. To help us understand the clause and the controversy surrounding it, we're joined by J. Michael Cole. He's the editor-in-chief of Thinking Taiwan, an online source of news and analysis about Taiwan, which is part of DPP chair Tsai Ing-wen's Thinking Taiwan Foundation. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me again. Help us understand this. What does the Taiwan Independence Clause mean, and uh, how would it be different from any kind of resolution that would replace it? Well, the Taiwan Independence Clause, as we know, is, is part of the DPP Charter. And uh, to make uh, things very simple, it calls for the eventual establishment of a Republic of Taiwan, which would be a uh, de jure uh, independence for, for Taiwan. Now, this is a part of the Charter that is there, but is not necessarily something that people are actively thinking about or trying to, to act upon. It is part of the Charter. It is an ultimate goal. It is part of the, uh, of the ideology of the founding fathers of, of the party, if you will. But in many, in many ways, uh, practical considerations uh, have made it so that uh, the DPP, either when in opposition or when in government, has had to, in many ways, make an abstraction of, of the actual language uh, of the Independence Clause and still work towards uh, achieving that goal, but uh, indirectly so. So this is not, a, uh, this is not an active, uh, active policy, if you will. Many have said that the policy that is currently in, in place is a, is a resolution that was put in place in the late 90s, the resolution on Taiwan's future. That policy is calling for a referendum uh, of Taiwan's people to determine Taiwan's future. Uh, so what would be, in practical terms, what would be the difference between these two policies? Is there a practical difference between the two? Well, the 1999 resolution uh, has the has the referendum element, but then again, uh, holding a referendum, as we know in Taiwan, is uh, is actually extremely difficult under current regulations. The DPP already faced a bit of a uh, of a backlash when it was in office uh, when it proposed referenda on a number of issues, not only from from Beijing, but uh, unsurprisingly from from Washington D.C. as well. So even if, if the 1999 proposal has a bit more practicality to it, in reality, this again becomes something that is very difficult to implement because A, there is a lack of consensus within Taiwan uh, in terms of, of declaring uh, actual independence, and B, as, as I just mentioned, holding a referendum itself is very difficult. So yes, uh, the 1999 proposal has a few more practical building blocks, however, it remains as difficult to uh, to implement those. It's a bit less abstract, but again, it's part of a uh, it's part of a process rather than an actual policy because they could not today say, okay, let us hold a referendum, and uh, if it passes, we are declaring independence tomorrow. The context is too uh, is too complex right now, and they would not be able to to achieve this. The people that I've spoken to, they talk a lot about 
that they don't want the issue to be the naming of Taiwan because the the Taiwan Independence Clause it's calling for the establishment of a Republic of Taiwan. So do you think that one of the reasons that people are so reluctant to give up on this clause is because of of the naming issue itself? They don't want to give up on the idea of having a Republic of Taiwan rather than a Republic of China. Well, at, at some point, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that whoever agrees to keeping the clause or whoever agrees. That Taiwan is already independent. Ultimately, would prefer it being called the Republic of Taiwan rather than the Republic of China. However, for the time being, again, conditions being what they are in terms of lack of international support and relations with China and all that, the lesser of two evils, if you will, is is to is to for the time being go by by the name Republic of China. So now let's get into a little bit more. What's behind the push? What people who are、uh, hoping for this freeze are hoping this would accomplish?、Uh, I spoke with a few of the people who put forward the proposal to freeze the clause. One of those was Tang Chenyuan. He served as a Mainland Affairs Council Vice Minister during the Chun administration and is now a professor at National Chengchi University. He told me that, in his view, Taiwan is already an independent nation, and that there is broad consensus within Taiwan that its future should be determined by its people. So, he's saying, based on、uh, that consensus on these more practical issues, worrying about Taiwan's national title is a, a political liability at this point. If DPP continue to hold the position that you know Taiwan need to、uh, change our national title into the Republic of Taiwan、uh, through referendum, then people will wonder. DPP will change the status quo, and people will also worry about that DPP's policy position might cause some instability, a cause some stress. So this will undermine people's support for DPP in the future, particularly in 2016 when DPP would like to run the presidential election. Then this might be a very negative、uh, effect. How pivotal do you think this is? Is Calling for independence or not calling for independence—is this something that could really make or break an election? Well, calling for independence certainly would. Having the clause remain in the charter is something else altogether. I mean, even if it remains in the charter,、uh, a DPP that comes into office、uh, comes back into office in 2016 would not, given the context,、uh, declare or call for independence, let alone hold a, a referendum on, on the issue. So, in terms of of its impact on、uh, on the elections,、uh, it, it's in my view it's ir- irrelevant whether the clause is there or not. Will will have very little impact on national level elections, even less so on on local elections. So, you think that this clause issue is not something that voters are going to be watching closely?、Uh, it's a non-issue in my in my book.、Uh, the only way it can it can have an impact on on the DPP's chances of winning in the election is if that issue succeeds in splitting、uh, the Taiwan administration.、Uh, this is、uh, pitting the deep green、uh, DPP supporters against a majority of of DPP members and supporters. For whom the independence clause is is again a non-issue because in in their understanding Taiwan is already an independent country. I think what the argument is though is that some of the voters that might otherwise、uh, be more supportive of the DPP are hewing towards the KMT、uh, because they're worried ab- about something that might、uh, rock the status quo. Do you think that voters are looking for reassurances that the DPP is not looking to rock the status quo? And do you think that if, if they sent out those reassurances, that that could be helpful to their chances? I would say that、uh, among a majority of green voters, and in, among swing voters, and among、uh, light blue voters. 
the DPP's stance on China will be an important issue. But once again, it's not whether the clause remains in the DPP charter that will have an impact on their voting decision. It, it is contingent on the DPP's ability to formulate and propose policies on China that are appealing to those people and that are also appealing to uh, Taiwan supporters overseas and appealing to a certain extent to the people in Beijing. It's not a couple of words in the DPP charter that decides whether voters will, will, uh, will vote blue or green come 2016. It is, once again, Taiwan administration's ability to propose a viable, sustainable China policy. Well, can you talk about that a little bit? What other efforts are in the works currently to develop and, and maybe uh, progress the DPP's China policy? Well, um, I mean, this, is, this has been ongoing. This is not something that, that makes the news because it is uh, rather controversial. But uh, in recent years, behind the scenes, uh, we have seen an increase in the frequency of exchanges between uh, Chinese officials, Chinese academics, and their counterparts here uh, in Taiwan. I mean, through her, her foundation, Dr. Tsai Ing-wen has, over the past two years, invited a number of, of academics and, and thinkers and business leaders from China to come to Taiwan to give presentations, to learn about uh, the DPP, learn about Taiwan, and hopefully learn from, from their counterparts here in, uh, in Taiwan. So this is a uh, this is a dialogue. This is a getting to know each other that has been going on. We can call it Track 1.5, if you will. And uh, this also stems from the recognition, I believe, in Beijing that it is not unlikely that in 2016 we might see a return of the DPP in the presidential office. So the Chinese, being practical as well, are aware that they need to to reach out to the DPP and establish connections with them. Of course, as we've already alluded to, there is quite a bit of opposition to uh, the push to freeze the clause. Uh, I spoke to one person who opposes uh, the clause, Tainan City Councilor Chen Chao Lai, to hear why he thinks the clause should stay. If the DPP gives up the Taiwan Independence Clause, this is equivalent to living under the One China Policy. For me, this will mean the party will no longer have its ideals. In terms of independence, I wouldn't say Taiwan is an independent nation yet. That goal is still a long ways away. Tsai Ing-wen made it clear that she did not want uh, the recent party congress to be a venue for discussing the clause, so clearly uh, not very supportive herself of freezing the clause. Where do you think this is going to go at this point? Do you think that the move to freeze this clause is going to be something that's going to gather steam, or, or, or has it already kind of petered out? My sense is that it will peter down. Um, I mean, it is being fueled by Pandlo Media, uh, and it is being fueled by uh, certain factions within the DPP that are not very supportive of, of Tsai Ing-wen as, as chairperson. Hopefully, they will. those people will realize, uh, at least those people within the Green Camp will realize that there needs to be a coming together rather than, than a uh, further splitting apart of the party. They need to be able to work together and reach consensus. Otherwise, their chances of, of winning in 2016 are, are going to be very slim. Now, in terms of the actual opposition within the DPP, again, we need, uh, we need to understand that it, it, the opposition uh, or the very vocal opposition to, uh, to freezing uh, the clause is a relatively small share of, of, of the overall party and, and supporters, or the deeper greens. 
So broadening the discussion a little bit to take on what this could mean for uh, cross-strait relations, and uh, going back to uh, Professor Tung Chen Yuan, he also told me that he believes that the DPP needs to be more engaged with China uh, in order for there to be substantive advancements in cross-strait relations. Uh, and he told me that the first step will be bringing the DPP and KMT's policies on cross-strait relations uh, closer together. DPP and KMT need to build consensus need to compromise with each other. Otherwise, there will be no ending bargaining chips for Taiwan to proceed in negotiation on political issues with China. And that, that is, there will be no possible to maintain a long-term possibility uh, and uh, peace across Taiwan's trade. You've already said pretty unambiguously you don't think this clause is, is a real issue. So it sounds like you would probably say that getting rid of this clause wouldn't really do a lot to bring uh, the DPP and the KMT closer together on their China policy. Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is just language. What truly matters is, is the actual policy decisions that are, that are being made by, by both sides. So do you think that there is a push within the DPP to work with the KMT to build the kind of consensus on cross-strait relations that Professor Tung is talking about? The DPP, like the KMT, is, is not a monolithic organization. Yes, there are people within the DPP who are uh, keen on working with their counterparts in the KMT in uh, formulating uh, China policies that would be appealing and viable to the majority of voters. Now, there are others, again, on, on both sides of, of the political spectrum, who are still very much engaged in, in zero-sum or scorched-earth politics uh, when it comes to the KMT, and the, the only thing that they really, really look at are the next elections, whether they are local or national level. Uh, hopefully, at some point, cooler heads will prevail, and, and people from, from both the DPP and the KMT will be willing to sit down and uh, fashion policies uh, that will appeal to uh, the majority of, of voters in Taiwan, and that will also make sense for uh, their supporters overseas and to appoint uh, decision-makers in, in Beijing as well. It is my fondest hope that members of both uh, main parties in Taiwan will at some point be able to do so, because otherwise keeping Taiwan divided the way it is right now politically uh, is only to Beijing's advantage. If freezing this clause is not the way forward to uh, ex extend that kind of dialogue with the KMT, what would be the issues that the DPP could work on? I know that the DPP has for years trying to, uh, to, to come up with its own China policy. This is a, a, a work in, in the making again. Within, within government, I mean, Taiwan has, has civil servants now. Uh, the majority of, of mid-career civil servants answer to the government and not to a specific political party. Uh, and there are good people uh, both within the KMT and good people within the DPP. Unfortunately, on both sides, what I like to call dinosaurs, uh, that is, people who, uh, who should have retired years ago but unfortunately remain active, uh, are, are keeping the whole political process, uh, hi uh, they're, they're hijacking the entire political process. Uh, which makes it extremely difficult for, I would, I would say, more rational actors to get together and, and work together to truly create policies that would be beneficial to, to Taiwan. Right now, because of those lingering voices, uh, it's, it's very, very difficult for those two parties to, to work together. And as I said, I used the term uh, zero-sum earlier, and this is still, unfortunately, the state of politics in Taiwan. And as long as this prevails... Uh, it will be extremely difficult for those two parties to work together.
this issue that you're talking about of having a, a certain amount of uh, calcification of the, the process, is this a, an issue that extends to both parties? Well, it, it certainly does. And uh, to, to, uh, to backtrack a little bit, uh, I mentioned the dinosaurs earlier. Uh, I, I, I do not want to create the impression that there are only dinosaurs uh, within the DPP. Uh, the KMT faces, it's, it's a very, very similar problem. And uh, what we have observed in, in the past two years or so as well is that while there are party members and government officials who I'm convinced would be willing to work with the DPP in creating policies on, on China, uh, but the problem is right now, uh, given President Mainjo's fixation on his, on his legacy, any, anyone, any individual in the KMT right now who proposes doing that uh, will face a tremendous backlash and could, as we have seen, as we have seen in, in the past few months, uh, even face, uh, face fines or, or expulsion from, from, from the party. And we certainly saw that with some uh, KMT legislators who were willing uh, to sit down and work closely with, with the DPP, even on the cross-rate services trade agreement and on the nuclear uh, energy issue. But unfortunately, what we are seeing right now within, within the KMT is, is a, uh, what I would call a quasi-internal authoritarian system where those voices are, are completely uh, snuffed out. At this point, would you say that there are substantive wedge issues in policy between the two parties, or is it, does it mostly break down to what you're talking about? It's more uh, a breakdown in how the system as a whole works. Um, well, there's no doubt that the DPP's approach would call for a more careful uh, way of, of dealing with China. But there is a clear understanding, with the exception of a few uh, of very conservative, deep green voices within the DPP, that you cannot ignore the elephant in the room. You have to deal with China. You have to conduct business with China. But that being said, um, I do believe that the DPP would want to be a little more careful, and that might simply be the result of uh, the business sector having closer, uh, closer ties with, with the KMT. And as we know, business sector is really, really applying a lot of pressure on the government to open up different sectors of, of Taiwan's economy to, to Chinese investment, and vice versa. So a moment ago, you were talking about how when the two parties are split up, the, the real winner is, is China. Uh, let's unpack that a little bit. Can you tell me the scenario where if the two parties were able to work together and, you know, more emphasize the middle ground where there basically is a, a seemingly a fair amount of agreement uh, and negotiate on these various deals with China as, as a block, as a group, how would that change the dynamic between Taiwan and China? Having a unified voice is always uh, is always better for for negotiations. The moment uh, a counterpart senses that there is a split on, in the other camp, uh, it's easy to to play one against the other. I mean, already, uh, I mean that split and the DPP's willingness to engage China actually makes it possible for Beijing to apply even more pressure on the KMT because the the, the CCP can say, "Oh, look, we were able to to have a." Uh, a DPP mayor from Tainan, William Lai, visit, visit Shanghai and then meet all kinds of people. So the DPP is willing to go this far. So how far is the KMT willing to go? Um, so you see how they can, they can play one side against the other to extract uh, certain concessions. If uh, the KMT and the DPP were of one voice when it comes to negotiating with China, they would make it extremely difficult for the CCP to exploit uh, those differences and play one party against uh, against the other. 
and when Beijing has the ability to do that, uh, in on in certain uh, instances, it will be able to compel one party or another to deliver things to Beijing that uh, otherwise they would not be willing to deliver. But they feel that they have to do it to demonstrate that they are the better uh, the better partner, uh, if you will, for for Beijing. So what I'm getting from this is, it sounds like what you're saying is there are strong contingents within both parties that have a strong middle ground and they agree on a lot of stuff. And it maybe a good path forward would be to more emphasize uh, that segment of things. However, you're saying that freezing this clause really has nothing to do with that. That's not a way to move that process forward. That is my uh, that is my understanding again. Because even if the DPP were to freeze or to shelve that clause. It remains a party that is dedicated to an independent, uh, free, democratic Taiwan. So the removal of those two words would not, in my understanding, uh, remove any doubts, both within the KMT and in Beijing, that the DPP remains committed uh, to a free Taiwan independence. So those, again, as I, as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, those few words in, in, in the party charter are not what uh, will ultimately convince uh, KMT and, and Beijing and the United States that the DPP has has in any by any means changed its its policy. It's 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 its proposals. It's, it's what it does. It's it's the the people that it meets that that truly matters. Those those words are are practically irrelevant in in my view. We've been speaking to J. Michael Cole. He's the editor in chief of Thinking Taiwan. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Keith. Thanks for listening to Taiwan Talk. As always, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's program. You can leave us a comment on our Facebook page or rate and review Taiwan Talk on iTunes. You can also leave a comment on the ICRT blog where we've posted a few links to articles about this week's topic. It really does help when you leave a comment for a couple of reasons. First, it lets us know what you're thinking so we can bring you the kind of shows you want to hear. And having more comments up makes it easier for other people to know that we exist. And we like that. And of course... It's a good way to start a conversation with other people that are interested in talking about these topics. Well, that's it for this week's show for ICRT. I'm Keith Manconi.